Good evening. Thank you, Stan. Thank you for having me, everyone. Um, I'm honored to be here and preach the gospel to you. And because Brother Steve did such a great job, he was unpacking the meaning of the cross and he was praying and for about two seconds I was wondering, Lord, do you still want me to preach? Trust me, I'm not being sarcastic. I, I really was wondering, just for two seconds, because he did a great job. Then, I realized that the gospel's repetitive. You hear the same gospel over and over again, but it's life-giving. That's probably why I love techno. It's, it repeats. <laughs> anyways. Sorry, it has nothing to do with that. So, I will preach the gospel, even if I were to repeat myself over and over again, because we are not ashamed of the gospel. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray and read the sermon text for us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are so undone without your word. Speak to us that we may live. I want to preach the gospel, the old Christ crucified. But it's new to us. Those who love him, those who believe in him, it's new Because your steadfast love never ceases. Your mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So please unfold your sovereign plans. Preach to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he opposed the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That's God's throne. Where is Jesus right now? He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, which means he's honored as the king of the universe. Then the passage is not necessarily saying that, folks, Jesus is not here, so pray to heaven. Nope. But it is saying that God the Son governs in the place of God the Father. In other words, Christ reigns. But when did it take place? When did that happen? When did he get there? At the right hand of God the Father Almighty. 
after, after making purification for sins. So Jesus' kingship cannot be divorced from the cross. After he was dead, after he was raised from the dead, he ascended to the Father. After making purification for sins, he sat there. I'm married with three children. We've tried a few Bible stories, Bible story books. Then my children grew out of it. So we started reading the actual Bible together. Soon after my last child, Noah, learned how to read, we've decided to do the daily Bible reading privately. And we are doing systematic theology since last year. And my kids love it. <laughs> A few weeks ago, one of the questions was, what happened to the animal sacrifices? And the answer to the question was that when Christ went to the cross, he nullified the Old Testament animal sacrifices forever. How come? The Levitical priests could not cleanse your sins permanently. They couldn't do that. Their ministry was about temporarily covering your sins. So they had to sacrifice animals over and over again for their own sins and other people's sins. But according to today's passage, Christ made purification for sins. It's not making purification. In its original language, it's aorist middle participle. The aorist was used to indicate that Christ accomplished the task of purification. It's done. So it means he did it once for all. It's done. Your sins are forgiven permanently. And the middle was used to show that Christ himself was the agent. It was through Christ. So Christ is the ultimate high priest. He covered all sins by offering himself to satisfy God's justice. Indeed, Christ is the perfect agent who covered all sins. And by God's grace, my kids got that. Isaiah 53, 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Christ suffered for our transgressions and our iniquities. But it was not for some transgressions and some iniquities. His suffering and shame were all for all transgressions and for all iniquities. Even when he received the sour wine, when I was reading the part in Matthew's account, John's account, I thought to myself, that's kind of nice. They're killing him, but they're being merciful. He's thirsty, so he, they're giving him something to drink. But when I read the Luke's account, 
It was to prolong his life so that he could suffer more. So Jesus was saying, Father, they, they know not what they do. Please forgive them. They wanted to just shove it in his mouth and mock him. There was no mercy. Not even, not even a drop of mercy at the cross. Why? Because he's to die for all sins, once for all. He became a curse for you, Galatians 3, 13, meaning he took your place and died for all sins. Because I'm a pastor, some, sometimes I hear that, Pastor, I, I cannot join your church yet because I've done terrible things. You don't know what I've done. You have no idea. And I would say, you're right. You might have done something terrible. I'm not saying that it's okay. But you may shamelessly join us now, right now, because Christ died for all sins. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. You find rest for your souls. Rest for your souls. Why? Because he died for all sins. So if you're taking notes, I got four points for this sermon. And point number one is, Christ reigns means that he reigns over all sins. He reigns over all sins. All sins. Whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, Christ died for all your sins. He shows no partiality. My dad's from North Korea. So I know North Korean. And when I, when I listen to what Kim Jong-un says, or his central news media says, I understand everything. So when I try to speak in Korean, sometimes I, I sound like Kim Jong-un. Sometimes. <laughs> if you don't understand North Korean, you get what's translated. But I get what they say in North Korea. So I feel the weight of offense. It cuts to the heart, especially when they speak against Japan or Japanese people. Well, if you think someone should learn how to tame his tongue, you gotta learn North Korean and listen to what they say. So, if I tell my grandpa or his friends in North Korea, Christ died for all sins, they will say, yes, but except for Japanese. <laughs> Don't you know that they took my uncle to Japan and made him their slave until he was starved to death, Sebastian? They kidnapped my 
aunt and sent her to the Philippines to be a comfort woman. Don't you tell me their sins are forgiven. They turn my friends into guinea pigs to make biological weapons. I know. I know, but when Christ died on the cross, he covered all sins, including your enemy's sins. Sometimes we decide who's qualified to be forgiven, just as Jonah, the silly prophet, did. He refused to go to Nineveh because he believed that the Ninevites don't deserve God's mercy. They cut my people into pieces. They killed them all, including women and children, so they don't deserve the gospel. That's what Jonah said. But what did God say? I love them. I forgive them. When you confess Jesus died for all my sins, that must apply to your enemies as well. If you apply what Christ accomplished at the cross only to yourself, something's wrong with your gospel. If you say Christ died for all sins but not for my mother's sin because she abandoned me. She abandoned me. She she abandoned me when I was little. No, that's not me. It's just an example. Christ died for all sins except for my dad or church friend who abused me. If you say that, your gospel is off. The gospel says Christ died for all sins of your enemies as well. How's your gospel? How is it applied? You cannot show partiality when you forgive others. Christ died for all sins. Now, we got to be careful here. When we say that Christ died for all sins, it's not for all sins of all people. According to the Bible, there are those who get saved by grace, but there are the others who don't get saved. Why not? And you might say, because they don't believe. Well, you're right, but you're not entirely right. What do I mean by that? When Christ died for all sins, he died for the sin of unbelief as well. That's all sins. So why do you get saved? Because Christ covered, he covered all your sins, including your unbelief. Then why wouldn't the others get saved? What happened to them? Because Christ did not die for their sins, including their unbelief. The late R.C. Sproul says, if Christ died for all of the sins of all people that must include the sin of unbelief. If God's justice is totally satisfied by Christ's work on the cross, then it would 
follow that God would be unjust in punishing the unrepentant sinner for his unbelief and impenitence because those sins were already paid for Christ, by Christ. Logically speaking, if you think Christ died for all sins of all people, that's universalism. Love wins. There's no hell. And you may say, that's not universalism, Sebastian. The cross is good enough that it covered all sins. Christ intended to save you. He made it available. So all you have to do is to believe in Jesus. Then you get saved. I know where you're coming from, but you're basically saying that the cross is good, but your faith makes the cross effective. When you believe, it works. When you don't, it doesn't. In other words, the cross works as you choose to believe in Jesus. If that's what the Bible says of the cross, my question for you is, what happens if no one believes in Jesus? I know that's a radical example, but what happens? Then no one gets saved. Why? Because the cross doesn't work. If you don't choose to believe, if you choose not to believe, Jesus' sacrifice doesn't work for you. If that's true, the cross is not good enough. And if that's what it means to be saved by faith alone, you may boast in your faith at the end of the day when you get saved. Why? Because you believed, whereas they didn't. I believe. Your faith becomes your merit. So logically speaking, brothers and sisters, it's, it's Christ belittling. Although that's not your intention when you choose to believe. But biblically speaking, you believe because you belong to Christ from the beginning. John 10, 26. But you do not believe because you're not among my sheep. John 8, 47, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear is that you're not of God. It's not the other way around. So by grace, by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing, but it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. It's utterly by grace utterly by faith, which is a gift of God. In John eleven fifty two, when Christ died on the cross, Christ died to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. It means they already were God's children, and by dying on the cross for all their sins, Christ 
gathered them into one body, the church. It's not the other way around. They, they did not become children of God when they chose to believe in Jesus. They were already, already God's children, and Christ died for them for all their sins. That's why they believe. And your faith is a gift from God. Therefore, when Christ died for all sins, he died for all sins of some people, not all people. If that's true, the cross cannot be independent from Christ's sovereignty. Verse 3, again, and he opposed the universe by the word of his power, and after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The cross must be discussed in its context, which is Jesus' sovereignty. He opposed the universe by the word of his power, through the means of speaking. How'd you get here tonight? Please raise your hand if you walked here. Did you walk here? Bless you. Bless you. Did you drive here? Bless you too. Somebody else drove you here? Bless them. <laughs> Uber? Lyft? Doesn't matter. Bless your drivers. Anyone flew out here? Nobody. Oh, one blessing for pilot. Yeah, for the pilot. <laughs> Anyone time traveled? Just kidding. <laughs> I, I know you came here, or someone or something took you here. But according to today's passage, you got here because Christ has spoken. The word uphold means to carry or to sustain. So, for you to go home after the service, Christ has to speak. It might look like you are moving, you are walking out of here, you are driving, you are flying back. But ultimately, Christ is the one who is carrying you. My heart did not stop beating for the last 40 years. That's why I'm here. I was able to get up this morning and eat breakfast because Christ was speaking. Not only that, the sunlight in the morning, the air you breathe, and gravity, trees, parks, ice cream truck, Facebook. Why do they exist? Because Christ is still speaking for them and to them. Even in this very room, you are listening to my preaching in the pew, even if I repeat myself, because Christ is still speaking. According to John's, not John's, John Calvin, I love him. The word word 
in today's passage means just a nod because Christ himself is the word of God. If Christ governs all things by a nod, both macro level and micro level, why is it so hard to understand that he makes salvation efficient? Now, if Christ does preserve, he does preserve all things by the word of his power, how much more can he make salvation work? You are saved because he has spoken. You are saved by grace alone, meaning you contributed nothing to your salvation. Absolutely nothing. That's what the Bible says. So, number two, he reigns. He reigns also means that he governs over all things, including your salvation. So, John Calvin comments on today's passage, saying, Christ, who preserves the whole world by a not only, did not yet refuse the office of effecting our purgation. The same Christ who governs all things also made purification for sins. According to today's passage. He will have mercy on whom he has mercy, and he will have compassion on whom he has compassion. I go to Starbucks to preach the gospel because I usually work with Christians because I'm a pastor. When I go to Starbucks, I get to talk to those who don't, who don't know Jesus. Why preach the gospel if the elect will be saved anyways? Because Christ died for them. Yes, because Christ died for them, they get saved anyways. Well, Christ saves through the means of preaching. He uses your preaching to make it effective. So, the more you embrace the doctrine of election, the more you actively preach the gospel with boldness and respect. So I went to Starbucks, talked to somebody, and I got caught reading the Bible. It was a Jewish man, and to him, reading the Bible was such a great piety. So he gave me this look, you're amazing. And he kept saying that it's great that you read that. Wonderful that you read that. So I asked him, do you read Torah? That's how he started talking. And I wanted to preach the gospel, so I was a step away from opening up Isaiah 53. And he said, I know the passage. I, I know it. That's Jesus' passage. He's a prophet, and he died for other people's sins. It was over. He already knew that. But he still doesn't believe. 
Why? Because what Jesus is capable of, what God is capable of doing is one thing, but knowing who he is is another. To him, Jesus is just a prophet, just a Jewish sage. So knowing what Jesus does is one thing, but knowing who he is is another. Then somebody could tell me, I'm a Proverbs 31 woman. I have a strong arm. I have a huge bicep. <laughs> I bench press 200 pounds. And I get up early in the morning and walk my seven dogs. and feed my 14 children, and I work late and make 200K. That's amazing. But the problem is, you're not my wife. <laughs> Who you are to me is more important than what, than what you're capable of. So it is with Christ. You are to know who he is, not just his ability and power. Verse 3 again, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he opposed the universe by the word of his power. In its original language, the particle and directly ties the participle phrase, which is the second half of this sentence, to the verb is in the first half of the sentence. In other words, the word and links what Christ does, upholding the universe, made purification for sins, sat down at the right hand of the Father to who Christ is. The particle is very important. Why? Because you are to know the works of Christ in light of the person of Christ. Yes, Christ made purification for all sins. Yes, salvation belongs to him. But if he's just a Jewish sage to me, what does that do to me, for me? I'm not a Jew. y o u got to know who Jesus is. Who is he? He is the radiance of the glory of God. The radiance in Greek is apagasma, which came from the Greek verb apagazo. Apagazo is I give out brightness. And the radiance ends with the ending ma, apagaz ma, which indicates the result. So God the Father shined the brightness to the sun, the glory to the sun, and the sun gets the result, the glory of God. So it, it is this, apagazo and apagaz ma. So when you see the sun, who's the radiance of the glory of God, you see the glory of the Father.
the Son proceeded from the Father, God the Son reflects the glory of God. So it means He is the ultimate reflection. Why? He's not the glory that's independent from the Father. But He reflects the glory of the Father. Am I saying that Christ is not God? No, I'm not saying that. Am I saying that He is not divine? Far from it. But what the passage is saying is John 1.14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, from the Father, full of grace and truth. So when you see Christ, you see the glory of God the Father, the implication is that without Christ, there is no light. There's darkness. He has to shine on you to get the light. So you want Christ to shine on you. So when you see his glory, when you say that glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth, you don't say that grudgingly. You say that out of joy. It is the light I want. It is the light I need. You have to shine on me. You love the fact that Christ is the glory of God that shines on you. Because he's so beautiful. You delight in him. That's John 1.14. So, number three, Christ reigns means that you are called to delight in him. He reigns, then you are to delight in Him. If you don't, something's wrong. Because He is the glory of the Father. He's beautiful. I trust what my wife Jade does. She's such an amazing woman of God. She does many things I cannot do. So when I just met her when I was 19, I couldn't help it. I had to tell my friend Steve about Jade. Steve, I, I met this amazing woman named Jade. She prays like this. She sings to the Lord like this. She says this to me. She does that. And I was happy about telling him, you know, about her. And you know what he said? Is she pretty? <laughs> I said, yes, she's beautiful. And he said, congratulations, man. I, I hated it. I hated it. You, you got to care for what she does. You got to care for her character, not just her looks. And when I was watching my favorite movie, all-time favorite movie, Back to the Future, <laughs> Marty McFly thought that he, he just got stuck in 1955. 
So he was talking to Dr. Brown. Dr. Brown, you gotta get me out of here. You gotta, you gotta fly me back to 1985 because I have a girlfriend. You know what she, what she said to me? And he, he shows the flyer. You know, she says these things to me. She's amazing. She does amazing things. And you know what Dr. Brown, Brian, Brown says? Is she pretty? <laughs> I love that movie, but I don't like that part. And my daughter, Noah, man, she fell in love with one of her classmates. And she told me that, Daddy, I want to marry him. So I told her, man, you must like him so much. So how does, he, how does he treat you? Does he treat you well? She said, he's handsome. I hated it <laughs> even more. But the more I meditate on the Bible, the more I realized that we are designed to respond to the beauty. It's not always about someone's ability, but it's about his being. And if I wonder why I love my wife more than, even more than 20 years ago, it's because she's a beautiful person. I appreciate her being. It's beyond what she does for me. I love her because you do this for me. You do that for me. You satisfy me the way, whatever. No! It's because she's beautiful. And that's what today's passage says of Christ. He is not only the glory that proceeded from God, but he is also the exact imprint of God's nature. It's just the same. Meaning, his being is the same. The exact imprint means you got your money, you got Benjamin, and it's the exact imprint of the original frame. It's the same Benjamin. So when you see Jesus, you see the exact imprint of God's nature. It's God, you see. However, it's beyond that because the money does not share the same nature with the original frame. So the engraving must be identical, but they don't share the same substance. They don't share the same nature. Christ has the Father's nature. His being. So it's beyond Benjamin. It's beyond Benjamin, brothers and sisters. It's more like John 14, 9. Philip says that, show us the Father. That will be good enough. And Jesus says, you've been with me for this long. 
Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say? How can you say, show us the Father? Philip has seen everything that Christ did. Feeding the 5,000, opening the eyes of blind, casting out demons, triumphal entry. But he still wants to see the Father who's the ultimate thing. And Christ says, I am the ultimate thing. I'm the ultimate being that you desire. I'm the ultimate nature that you want to have, you want to see, you want to enjoy. It's me. Do you see me? If you have seen me, you are to be satisfied in me as if you've seen God the Father Almighty. Therefore, Christ said it's about being satisfied in me. So when you see God the Son, who's the exact imprint of the Father's nature, you say it's enough. It's more than enough. Then why did Christ die on the cross? To display His glory that proceeded from the Father, that you may know that He is the greatest good. He is the most beautiful being in the entire universe. His nature is so beautiful, it's beyond description. He wanted to display His beauty and tell you that, you see, it's God. It's the ultimate thing. When Christ was lifted up, He is calling you to know Him and delight in Him. So you're called. My mom has cancer. It's not an example, for real. She has cancer. She's having a tough time to the point that she just wants to give up. It's so painful. Yes, we pray because Christ governs all things. Remember his sovereign? But if the fact that Christ reigns is just my head knowledge, if Jesus forgives is just my head knowledge, I'll probably say, how could you do this to me? She's my mom. I love her. But if I delight in Christ, I would rather say, I know that you might take my mom away from me. There's no guarantee she will survive this, and I love her. But you give and take away. Blessed be your name. And you call that worship. And it applies to your 
joblessness, marriage issues, parenting, your church, all things. In all circumstances, you are to delight in Christ, who is the greatest good. So you're called to delight in both what He does and who He is. You're not swayed by one of the good things in this life, but you are satisfied in the ultimate good thing, which is Christ crucified. That is worship. So Jonathan Edwards says, the enjoyment of God is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. You've got to enjoy Christ. And you could say, honestly, I want to get there. I want to worship Christ in all circumstances, but I cannot do that sometimes because I'm so saddened. It's unfair. You may say, for example, my child is sick, and they say that they can't do anything about it. Or my spouse is just a step away from leaving me. It saddens me. And they shot and killed another person by mistake, even though he was just holding a phone. How long? I hear you. Asaph, the psalmist, thought that life is unfair. He could not rejoice over the fact that the evildoers prevail. They do bad things. They lie. They persecute single moms and orphans. They, they get away with everything. They get rich. They're healthy. Their kids are well. None of them is sick or disabled, and even when they die, they die comfortably. Where is justice? Where is God's righteousness? That's what the psalmist was wondering. And he found the answer in Psalm 73, 16 and 17. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discern their end. It means when God disclosed himself to the psalmist, when God shined the light of his glory to the psalmist, he just understood everything. When he saw how holy God is, he has encountered the God of the Bible who is beautiful beyond description. He just knew that God is completely just, completely righteous. Of this experience, Shane Wheeler says the following, We witness suffering, death, broken relationships, cruelty, betrayal, and the bad guys winning. And it breaks our hearts. Am I saying that we should engage in worshiping God even if we're not sure we believe in Him? Yes, 
Absolutely. It's not a fair test otherwise. We must engage more than our intellect. We must connect with the fullness of our emotions, anger, hurt, fear, confusion, hope as well. We need to sing even if with the heart of bitterness or cynicism. We need to place ourselves in a position to subjectively engage the presence of God. This is simply the way humans are built. We cannot reasonably expect to know another person without experiencing his or her affection, friendship, affirmation, affirmation, and correction. That's what happens when you look to the cross. Christ is the very glory of the Father, and He is soul-quenching that you never say, show me the Father. That will be enough. No, Christ is the ultimate satisfaction. Therefore, number four, know that Christ reigns over your heart. He reigns over your heart. If you keep reading the book of Hebrews, in chapter 9, it reads in verse 15, Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Since, since a death has occurred, that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. So you're living the new covenant reality. Why? Because death has occurred. Because Christ died on the cross. I'll give them a new heart. I'll give them a heart to know that I'm the Lord. And... They shall be my people, and I shall be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. That's the new covenant reality. And because Jesus died on the cross, you are living this reality. You come to God with your whole heart. You know how to treasure Christ. In other words, God the Holy Spirit will make you delight in Christ. How come? Since death has occurred. Because Christ ratified the new covenant at the cross, you will definitely delight in Christ and worship Him in all circumstances if you belong to Him. You will do that. That's what Christ did at the cross. He reigns over your heart. So church, love him. Love Christ. Treasure him in all circumstances, knowing that he governs your heart. Christ reigns, church. Remember that Christ reigns. Let us delight in him as we all stand and pray in one voice.